Rabbi. Yes, Sammy. I have a question on the Megillah. The Megillah? Why, why are you asking questions on Megillah? We're in the middle of the month of Teves. What Megillah are you talking about? Uh, I was learning with my parents last night. We were learning about something. I don't remember exactly. But, but in, in the Megillah it says that when Moshe took the B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, the Megillah says Moshe took B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim? Uh, no? No. The Torah says when Moshe took B'nai Yisrael. No, but it wasn't the Torah. We were cleaning up and we found this little book. And, and it had like cool pictures in it. It had the picture, you know, of a smart kid and a, and a, well, I don't want to say the other kind of kid. And you mean the Haggadah? Oh, I, I guess it was the Haggadah. I guess so. So, well, a- anyway, so we, we were, we were reading this thing that, what was it that? The Haggadah, yeah. You, and, and, and so anyway, so my, my mother said it was very important on Tubishvat to talk all about Tubishvat. Yeah, talk all about on Pesach is when we talk about the Haggadah. Well, either way, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I have a question. You know, Moshe had to take the Nisrael in time, right? Mm-hmm. And it was difficult. Moshe tried to do this and do that, and they didn't listen to Moshe. I don't understand. Why didn't Moshe? You know, in, in the, it, Mordechai HaTzadik was excellent at convincing people of things. And, and he saved the entire Bnei Israel. So why didn't Mordechai just help out Moshe Rabbeinu? And together, they would have rescued Bnei Israel, lickety-split. Who? You know, Mordechai and Haman... Um, Mordechai lived way after Moshe Rabbeinu. He did? He did. All right. Now, if we solve that, yes, Yerachmiel. Uh, Rabbi, um, I have a question. Uh, Rabbi, I have a question about Megillah. Not a question about Megillah? Yeah, but this is not about Megillah, it's Esther. Okay. This is about um, Shirashirim. Shirashirim? Shirashirim is said on Shavuos. We're in Tavis. Why are we talking about Shavuos? Well, Shavuos, Rabbi, I, I thought... Yeah, whatever. Uh, fine, not sure. But the point is, why are we talking about this? Okay, it's Pesach, whatever it is. Who cares? I mean, not who cares, but but why are we talking about this now? Because I have a Shiloh. Yeah, what? You know, some people say, Shir uh, Shirim, before Kabbalah Shabbos, every, every Shabbos. Okay. But what does it got to do with the month of Tevis? Well, because the month of Tevis has Shabbos in it, and so there's Arab Shabbos, and so why want it? So what's your question? Rebbe, do I have to say it? Uh Yerachmiel, I think this is a matter of a minute. Some people have a minute to say it. Some people have a minute not to say it. Some people have a minute not to Neither way. Whatever your minute is, you talk to your parents, ask your family a minute. Yes, Nasan. Rabbi, can I go to the bathroom? Yes. Next. Moshe, you have the last question. What's your question? I, I also have a question on Megillah. Moshe, we're not learning Megillah. We're learning Chumash. Right over here in front of us, we have our Chumash, and this is what we're learning. But Rebbe, is it possible that what I'm asking is in Chumash? You said it's a question on Megillah. Yeah, but Rebbe, in the back of our Chumash, we have Megillah's Esther. Yes, because usually Purim, or almost always, Purim comes out during the time of the year that we're reading Sefer Shemos. So they put the story or the Megillah's Esther in the back of Sefer Shemos because that makes the most sense if you want to read Sefer Shemos and then go to Purim, you're in the same book. Yeah, so... Anyway, in our Chumash is Megillah's Esther, so I can ask a question Miguel Miguel's Okay, fine. Fine. Ask your question, and then we're going to go on. Rebbe's not going to answer me? No. If you ask your question and I know an answer, I'll answer you. If I don't know an answer, I won't answer you. What's your question? You know, in the Megillah, Esther says to, 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 to what's the guy's name? The king. Achashverosh. Yeah, Esther says to Achashverosh that, that 
if the Jewish people were being sold as slaves, then it's okay with her. But now that they're being going to be killed, now she's mad and upset, and she's going to get the guy in trouble, get Haman in trouble. But but I don't understand. Being sold as slaves is a bad thing too, because because what happened? The Jewish people were sold as slaves, right? And, and Moshe Rabbeinu, what did he do? He took Adam and Mitzrayim. So you see that being sold as slaves is a bad thing. And and Yosef was considered bad to sell him as slaves. You see, being a slave is a bad thing. So why did Esther say if they're slaves, it's okay? It's not okay to be slaves. I don't want to be a slave. That's an interesting question. Interesting question. Yeah. So so. So why did Esther say if they were being sold to slaves, I'd be I'd be quiet? Mm-hmm. If they were being sold as slaves, why would she be quiet? But she's not going to be quiet if they're going to be sold as. Yeah, that, that's my question. It's a very good question. Let me ask you a question, oh, uh, Rebbe. Is it possible I asked first? <laughs> you did ask first. But I am going to answer you with a question because that's what every good Jewish answer begins with, right? Every Jewish answer begins with a question. Here's my question. Why did Esther Malka even talk about it? Why didn't Esther Malka just simply say, Akashverosh, the Jewish people are at risk of losing their lives. We need to save them. Why did she say, if they were going to be sold to slaves, I'd be quiet. But now they're She's not learning Gemara. Yes, you can see him. Oh, maybe she was. She was. She 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 lived with Mordechai for many years. Maybe Mordechai taught her how to learn Gemara. But she wasn't learning Gemara with Achashverosh. Oh. Anyway, you hear the question? Yes, Avramel. Rabbi, that was a good question. Baruch Hashem. Finally, finally. Uh, I mean, finally, I understood Rabbi's question so easily. Uh, okay. Yes, Sammy. Does, does Rabbi have an answer? Actually, I have an answer. Really? Really. And my answer is not my answer. Oh, so Rabbi doesn't have an answer. Well, I, I I didn't say that. I didn't make up the answer. You know how I knew the answer? I saw it in a sefer written by a great Hasidic Rebbe named the Oyhev Yisrael. And the answer is based on a very incredible, nice and incredible story. You're listening to this incredible story. Listen up carefully. Everyone in this room knows that, unfortunately, we had a Beis HaMikdash that was destroyed by the terrible Melech, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel. And when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, the Jewish people went into Gullus for 70 years, called Gullus Babel. It was during that time that the story of Purim took place. Eventually, Dar Yavesh allowed the Jewish people to go back to Eretz Yisrael to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. Sammy, do you know which base of Mikdash it was? The third? No, no, the second base of Mikdash was the second base of Mikdash. We were allowed to rebuild the second base of Mikdash. It was an incredible, incredible good experience, opportunity for the Jewish people to re-find themselves, to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The man given the job of leading the Jewish people back to Eretz Yisrael, the man given the job of helping, of really re- rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash, not himself, but with help, but he was in charge of it. His name was Ezra, and he's called Ezra HaSofer, Ezra the scribe. Now the Chazal tell us there was not from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu a leader as great as Ezra HaSofer. He was an incredible leader, a powerful leader, an awesome leader. Now, Ezra HaSofer brought the Yidin back from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. Unfortunately, during the time that the Yidin were in Bavel, during those 70 years, there were many things that fell to the wayside. The Yidin, unfortunately, were involved in Averis. The Yidin, unfortunately, lost their many levels and aspects of Kedusha. 
And one thing that happened as a result of the Chorban Bayis Rishon, the fact that the first Beis was destroyed, was there was a lot of confusion as to the correct version of the words of the Torah. There was a lot of confusion. Because, unfortunately, Torah's, the scrolls got destroyed. Shuls got destroyed. But the Midrashas got destroyed. And so the first thing that Ezra Sofer did was he wrote a Sefer Torah. This great scribe, Ezra Sofer, wrote a Torah that was matching the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yes, Moshe? Rabbi, I remember when we learned about the Aaron Sefer in Parshish um, Truma, Rabbi told us that one shot in the Torah when it says, it says that you're supposed to put the Edus um, in the Aaron Kadesh, one shot was it had to do with the Torah, um, uh, uh, a Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, very good, excellent, excellent. Yes, you're right. Chazal tell us that they, in, the, in the Aaron Kadesh, next to the Luchos, went a Sefer Torah written by Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, where was that Sefer Torah, Rabbi? Oh, before the Chorban Bayis Rishon, the King Chizkiyo HaMelech knew the Chorban Bayis was going to happen, and he took the Aaron Kadesh and he hid it away so that nobody would take it, Chas Shalom, when the Beis English was destroyed. And hidden away with it was the Luchos. Hidden away with it is that Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. And so Ezra Sefer, using his great Torah scholarship and his knowledge of Torah and his knowledge of exactly what to, th- what to say what, based on different Sefer Torah, he put together a Torah that was written that was as exact as he could make it possibly in those times. And this Sefer Torah was called Teras Ezra HaSefer, the book, the Torah written by Ezra HaSefer. Well, Sefer Torah Ezra HaSefer was the Torah written by Ezra Sefer. And when Ezra Sefer died on Tes Teves, Torah was handed down to the next generation and to the next generation. And somehow, some way, it became the belongings of a certain family from generation to generation. And finally, the time that I want to tell you the story about, sometime in, I imagine, the 1800s, the Sefer Torah of Ezra was in possession of a Yid who we're going to name Reb Shmuel. And Reb Shmuel had the Sefer Torah of Ezra. Now Shmuel, Reb Shmuel had something else that was very important. He had lots and lots and lots of money. He was a very rich man. Millions of dollars equivalent rich man. And Shmuel had two sons. One's son's name was Beryl. And one son's name was Yosef. And Beryl and Yosef... They were two brothers who grew up in this wonderful mansion owned by Reb Shmuel. And they grew up eating the best foods. And they were, despite the fact that they were raised in such a wealthy environment, a lot of times when people are raised in wealthy environments, they become a little spoiled. You can see them? You mean like Shachna in the other class? I'm sorry? You know, Shachna in the other class. His father is a multimillionaire. And you ever hear Shachna? He talks about the way... Are you speaking Lashon Hara? You can see he wants to stay in the classroom. We want to leave. Uh, but Rabbi, we're doing a Shemir HaLashon program, program and, and we're learning all about not speaking Lashon Hara. And here you go ahead and speak Lashon Hara. Just cause, but Rabbi said it. I didn't say a specific person. If you have a problem with a specific person, talk to me outside of class. I'm so... Yes, Sammy. Is it possible Rabbi also just violated the rules of Shemir Alashin? Because we learned that Shemir Alashin, you're not allowed to be mavayish somebody to rob, you're not allowed to embarrass somebody to rob him. And well, that reminds me, you also learned that you're not allowed to give musr, you're not allowed to rebuke somebody in a way that's going to be an avera. Um, um, lo sisa, you're not allowed to have a seesaw in, um, 
Yeah, so what? So you, uh, Rabbi, perhaps maybe embarrassed you Rusil because he yelled at him in class, and now you can see he's embarrassed, and, and if Rabbi sees Rusil's head is down on his desk, and he, he, I know that he's crying from his shoulders moving up and down, and, and that's embarrassing him in public, and that's also a violation. So Rabbi, um, Rabbi, you know what, Sammy? Sammy, it's not your place to tell the Rabbi what to do. It's a good kasha. It's a good question. I, I apologize. You can see, I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. My, my intention was not to violate any Averas. My intention was because I felt it was a very serious matter needed to be stopped. And there's a, I, I, feel, I feel maybe it was mutter. But in case I'm wrong, I apologize. I'm going to ask a Shiloh about it to my Rav later after class. But I would appreciate, you can see, I appreciate it. I'm sorry very much. If you want to go out and get a drink, if you want to come. But, but, but please, uh, if you were bar mitzvah, I'd ask you to be mechel me. But Sammy, I need you to be quiet. And I need everyone else to be quiet. And I'm not going to accept any more questions because you guys are, are I'm, I don't want to have by mistake, embarrass somebody else in public. Anyway, back to our story. So, Reb Shmuel had these two sons, Beryl and Yosef, and they grew up and they were on spot and they were great, nice, beautiful men. And they were, and they were Machshav Teira, incredibly Machshav Teira. Now, this Sefer Teira of Ezra Sefer was kept in the Aaron Kaidish of the Shul all year. And they read from this Sefer Torah because they knew that it was the most kosher Sefer Torah, right? Because we knew it had no mistakes. And they read from it and they read from it and it was always perfect and it was great. And one day, there was sad news in town. There were signs plastered on the wall. There was an announcement named Klopp announcement in Shul. The sad news was that the great, generous, rich, Man who owned the Sefer Tereshel Ezra, Reb Shmuel, had been nifter. He died. Everyone was very sad. Poor Yosef and Beryl. Their father was nifter. Okay, they sat shiva. They went through shloshim. And everyone was wondering, what's going to happen to the Sefer Torah of Ezra? You see, because... Beryl and Yosef, they lived in the town together. But who's going to be the owner of that Torah? Or are they going to own the Torah Bishutfis? Yes. Yes, Moshe? Rabbi, um, why don't they just split the Torah? <laughs> if they split the Torah, Moshe would be kosher? I don't mean split it like that. I mean, why don't they just like half own it each, half own it? That's a good question. That's an option. That's an option. They both own it. They're partners, right? That's what you mean. Yeah, that's what I meant, Rabbi. Oh, okay, fine. Sammy, I'm not calling on you. But Rabbi said that he's not calling on anybody. And Rabbi just called on... They came before the basin to divide up the property. And Beryl said to Yosef, my dear, beloved... Brother, I love you so much. You're so valuable to me. You're the best number one brother. I'm willing to make a deal with you. I'm willing, Beryl said to Yosef, to give you all the millions of dollars that our father has in the bank. I'm willing to let you have his fancy dancy mansion that our father lived in. If you let me be the sole owner of the Sefer Torah of Ezra. I will be the owner. You won't be. But you'll have the millions and millions of dollars. 
that our father had. Well, Yosef said, well, well, are you sure you want to do that? I mean, I really want the Sefer Torah for Ezra too. For sure, for sure, for sure. I really, really want it too. I really would rather be partners. But at the same time, if you are willing... So they discussed it with the Basin. They talked about it for a while, and the Basin said, you know what? If you guys agree, that's fine. You're allowed to do that. And Beryl and Yosef each went home that night, and they spoke to their wives about it, and they spoke to their kids about it, and they scratched their head about it. And they came back, and Beryl and Yosef, and Yosef and Beryl discussed it back and forth and back and forth. And maybe Beryl was said, to you, maybe Yosef said, maybe I should offer these billions of dollars to you. Maybe, maybe. And they talked about it and negotiated. And finally the basin said, again, if you want to do it, and Yosef said, okay. And so Yosef got all the papers saying that he was the owner of the house. He was the owner of the millions of dollars. Yosef became the richest man in town almost overnight. And Beryl had the biggest smile on his face compared to everyone else in town because he was now the proud owner of the Sefer Torah from Ezra HaSefer. Wow, did he feel good that next Shabbos that they went to Shul and they took out the Sefer Torah of Ezra HaSefer, I mean of Beryl, and they read from Beryl's Sefer Torah. Beryl didn't even need an aliyah. He just stood there by the bima, smiling. <sighs> I'm not even sure if he was Yotze the Mitzvah of Kriya Satora because I don't even know if he was listening to the Torah reader. I think he was just standing there and getting nachas and thinking to himself, wow, am I lucky. I own the Sefer Torah of Ezra. Now in this town, in this wonderful town that they lived, there lived a Yid who became a non-Yid. You see there was a Yid, we'll call him Mati. Mati was a Yid who grew up in a very difficult environment, in a very challenging situation. His parents were very poor and he grew up, he did not have shoes. He went to Cheder and kids made fun of him because of the patches on his clothing. He didn't know how to learn so well. He couldn't read so well. And he was not a happy person. And as he got older, he stopped practicing lots of Torah mitzvahs because he couldn't do it correctly and everyone wasn't helping him. And eventually, unfortunately, he became to dislike Yiddishkeit so much that he went to the local guy and he said, I want to become a guy like you. And the local guy put some little water on his head and said, now you are a guy. And Mutti became Matthew. Now we all know that a guy... Does not a yid can't become a guy. A yid is always a yid. It's kind of like you have in your DNA. If a person has in their DNA that they're going to have black eyes, they can put contact lenses in and make their eyes look green. They can put contact lenses and they make their eyes look blue, but their eyes are still going to be whatever color they're going to be. They can go ahead and they can try to change their appearance. They can get plastic surgery, but it won't change their basic essence of who they are. It won't change their kishkas. It won't change their neshama. Their neshama is still a Yiddish neshama. You can't change that with a little sprinkling of some water. You can't become a guy if you're a Yid. A guy could become a Yid, but a Yid can't become a guy. So although Mati became Matthew, Mati still was really Mati, but he pretended to be Matthew. He pretended to be Matthew by wearing Gaisha clothing and Gaisha shoes and using his Gaisha cup. <sighs> but a plastic surgeon is a person who does surgery that they could change what you look like with your change your skin. 
So anyway, so Mati, Mati heard this story. He read the newspapers. He saw that Reb Shmuel died. And he saw that Reb Shmuel's children, Yosef and Beryl, had originally been arguing about who should own the Sefer Torah and about the option of them. And that Beryl went ahead and gave up millions of dollars to be able to be the owner of the Sefer Torah. And boy, oh boy, was Matthew Mati upset. He says, what kind of foolishness is this? I can't believe it. I'm so embarrassed that I was even once a Jew that I have Jews who are arguing over who should get the Torah. What a kind of disgrace is that? Everyone knows that Jews love one thing in life, and that is money. And how could it be that these Jews were arguing these Jews were arguing, my former friends were arguing, how could it be that they were arguing about such a valuable thing, about two, four, five million dollars, instead of a Torah? I'm horrified. I'm embarrassed to have once been a member of the Jewish people, Matthew, Matthew Mutti said. Ah, I have an idea. I'm going to teach these Jews a lesson. I'm going to show that barrel guy of the importance of money and the unimportance of that Sefer Torah. And so, later that day, Mutti Matthew got dressed. He put on his Yiddish yarmulke. He put on his Yiddish shirt. He put on his Jewish pants. And he put on his Jewish shoelaces. He then rinsed his mouth out and took a drink after making a lachayim. And he said, now they will never know the difference between me as Matthew or me as Mutti. They'll think that I'm Mutti, a good Torah Jew. <laughs> I'm going to fool them. And he went towards the evening at Mincha time to the show. And he came into the show. And people didn't know who he was because Mati Matthew had not lived with the Yidin for a long time. He lived in the far outskirts of town. People forgot about him. And so Mati Matthew, dressed in his Jewish clothes, with his smushed hat. Uh, sir, your hat's a little smushed. Um, thank you very much. Could you fix it for me? I'm not sure exactly what it's looking like. You're not sure what your hat's supposed to look like? Yeah, I'm not sure what side of the brim goes up and down. I'm not sure what the front or the back. I don't know. What do you mean? Don't you wear it every day? Um, yeah, I, I wear it every day that I'm that I'm practicing being a Jew. <laughs> um, so, so I'm not sure which one. Uh, could you help me? Thank, uh, yep, thank, thank you very much. Um, oh, shalom aleichem, Rabbi Yehudi. You new in town? Uh, kind of new, kind of new. Um, do you want to daven mincha for the yom? Do you want to have a cover of davening mincha for the yom? Da- davening mincha for the yom. No, no, thanks, sir. Thanks. Do you need a sitter? Uh, sure, sure. They're over there on the shelf. Please, uh, if you want to be. Thank you very much. No, no, that's a chumash. Oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I was just, just taking the wrong thing on purpose. Here, here. here. Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> Goes back to see. Let's see here. Oh, boy, look at them. They're davening quietly, and they're back, swaying back and forth. I'm not going to daven, of course. I'll just sway back and forth and um, think about baseball scores. Yeah, and the Red Sox and the Yankees. and, the, and, uh, and yeah. Oh, three steps back. I forgot three steps back. Oh, um, excuse me. Uh, Julie, you're stepping on my foot. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't. Um, and it's only three steps back. It's not 300 steps back. I, I, I made a mistake. I forgot. Don't you daven Shmona every day? Um, I, every day that I'm Jewish. And, uh, yeah. So no, no. Yeah, whatever. It's complicated. They daven Mincha and they daven Mariv. And 
uh, Mutti, Matthew, Davin, the kind of Davin, and he shuckled and he swayed, and the guy sitting next to him said, um, I know I'm not supposed to talk now because it's the middle of Birch's Krishma, but your sitter's in the Yom Kippur Davening. <laughs> uh, I, I knew that, I knew that. <laughs> I forgot, I forgot. Mm. Um, um, you're now at Modani. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what page are we up to? What number? My suit is different than yours. Here, you, I'll show you. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> and they finished davening, and everyone sat down to learn at the Seder to share for a little while, and the Rav was giving the share in the front of the room, and one of the people came along, oh, you want to go listen to the share? The Rav's giving a share uh, about, about the mitzvah of giving your life up rather than becoming a guy. <laughs> That's an interesting share. <laughs> yeah, it's a very geschmack share. And the Rav said, and it's more important to die than to become a guy. Yeah, more important to die than to become Whatever. Finally, people started leaving the shul, and the guy starts to close windows and lock the windows and close this window, lock this window, one after the other. And this guy sees, still sitting there, and the guy looks around. There's about five people sitting in the room, and Mati says, Ayfei, I need to stay here after the guy is finished and locking the doors. I need to be the last person in this building. And if he's going to wait for me to leave, then my whole plan will fall apart. Ah, I know what I'm going to do. Mati runs to the bathroom, and he closes the door. And the Gabai waits for other people to leave. The other people leave, and the Gabai looks around, and he says, Anybody left? Anybody there? He pushes open the bathroom door. Anybody here? Nobody says. Shuts off all the lights in the shul. Every light turns off in the shul. All right. Well, if you're here and you didn't say anything, have a good night and enjoy. Hopefully, you'll enjoy spending the rest of the night in show because I'm locking the door. Okay. And he goes and locks the door and he leaves. The Gabba goes home and gets ready for bed, puts on his pajamas, puts on his little hat that he wears <laughs> with the pom pom at the end, climbs in bed, says Kriyashman Hamapil, and turns over and goes to bed. Back in the show, Mutti comes out of the bathroom quietly, stealthily makes his way over to the Aron Kodesh, and he tries the doors of the Aron Kodesh. They're locked. I can't believe I didn't think about this problem. Tries again. They're still locked. Oh, I have my pocket. I have my pocket knife. He pulls out his pocket knife, and he jimmies the Aron Kodesh lock a little bit, and it pops open. Oh, good. He opens the doors, and he takes out the Torah of Ezra, and he brings it to the Bima, and he takes off the cover and he unwraps the belt. And he bends over the Torah and he rolls it a little bit this way and a little bit that way. And he takes his knife and goes to the scroll of the Torah. And then he reaches down, he reaches for another piece of instrument in his pocket. And he puts them in down in his pocket. And back at the Gabai's house, the Gabai is trying to sleep. And he's tossing and he's turning, and he's tossing, and he's turning. And something is not letting him sleep. I feel like Achashverosh. His wife said, Achashverosh? Why do you feel like Achashverosh? You're not rich. You don't have a lot of wives. You don't have a lot of servants. And you don't live in Persia. Well, actually, I feel like Achashverosh because I can't sleep. All right, so should I get the Book of Chronicles 
about all the people who did nice things for you in your life and see if you rewarded them and maybe, well, um, if I had a book of Chronicles, that might be a good idea, but I don't. Something is wrong in Shul. My dear husband, you're lying here in bed. How do you know something is wrong in Shul? I feel it in my bones. Well, I can tell you what I feel in my bones. I feel cold. And that's because you forgot again to turn on the heat. Could you go downstairs and turn on the heat? All right. And then I'm going to go to the shul just to check on things. All right. If you want, you can do that. And so he goes downstairs. He's wearing his pajamas with his little bobbly hat. And he puts on his coat and slips on his slippers. And he makes his way out the front door. My heat! I forgot. I'll do it one second. He turns on the heat. And then he goes back outside. It's very chilly outside. And it's very chilly outside. He makes his way out the door. And he starts walking to Shul. And he notices there's a light on in the Shul. He could see it from the distance. And he comes towards the Shul. The light's on in the Shul. He comes towards the Shul. And... He, uh-oh, Mati and Shul hears somebody coming. He hears footsteps outside, and he hears somebody fiddling with the knob. He quickly closes up the Sefer Torah, and he had finished what he needed to. He quickly wraps it up, puts the cover on, gets it back in the Arkadish, closes the Arkadish, zips the Arkadish cover closed, dives under a bench, and the guy walks in. Anyone here? Is everything Okay. Hmm, nothing. Very strange. Very weird. All right. He leaves the room, he locks the door, and he goes back home. He lies in bed. Hmm, tossing and turning. Mutti is happy. He finished his job. He goes back there and to make sure it's locked. And Mutti goes to the front door. Time to leave the show. And he goes and he tries the doorknob. The doorknob turns. He tried to push the door open, but it wouldn't. Now, some locks have a lock on the inside that the way it works is it has a little latch, and you can twist the latch and open it up from the inside, right? But other locks, you need a key on both sides of the door to open or close locks. In this shul, the lock basically was the kind of lock that you need to be keyed to get in and out, both on the front and the inside and the outside. And Mati Matthew realized that he was locked in Shul. Now, he did not want to be in Shul any longer than he needed to be because he did not want to be caught there. Oy vey, what am I going to do? And so he tried to break the door, shove the door, mush the door. It couldn't work. He tried to open the window. The windows were locked closed. He couldn't figure out how to pop the windows. And... Gabai was tossing and turning. Gabai was tossing and turning. Mutti, meanwhile, had opened a few more lights, turned on a few more lights so that he'd be able to see better. Maybe there'd be a way to get out of the show. And he was trying to door, banging on the door, trying to do it. And the Gabai woke up again, tossing and turning. He sat up. He said, something's not right. He rashed downstairs, put on his slippers, and he saw, even from his house, which was not that far from the show, that there were more lights on in the show. And he heard in the distance the banging on the door and so he called quickly quickly emergency emergency he ran to the show he ran to the show trying to unlock the door meanwhile 
Mati inside the shul heard the loud noise of the gabay trying to unlock the door, and Mati was frantic. He didn't feel he felt he had no choice. He jumped trying to try, run to the window to try to get out through the window maybe, and he banged his head, ouch, fell to the ground, stood up quickly, jumped out the window, shattering the glass. And running down the block, the gabay saw the glimpse of this man running out, out of the shul through the window, running down the block. The gabay ran quickly to the rabbi's house, banged on the door, rabbi, rabbi. No. <laughs> Oh, good morning, Mati. Is it already time to get up for chakras? Rabbi, Rabbi, it's a Geneva, Geneva, it's a Ganev in the shul, a, a robber in the shul. A robber in the shul? Hmm, interesting. All right, tell me about it in the morning. No, no, Rabbi, it's come now, come now. Come now? Yeah, come on. He grabs the rabbi by his arm. The rabbi, wearing his pajamas and his, and his bunny rabbit slippers, says, Oh, right now? That's right, Rabbi. Come, come, come. Oh, you have cool, cool slippers, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Come, let's come to the show. Uh, the rabbi says, one second, one second, we have to go to the president. If there's Geneva in the show, to go to the president. Bangs on the door, rabbi. And the, president, president, open the door. And the door opens. Um, um, uh, do you know what time it is, rabbi? Yes, I do. Are you here to ask for a raise at three in the morning? No, no, no. Chas v'sholem. It's an emergency in the show. A Geneva. And they take the president and bring him out. The president says, one second, let me get my robe on. He's wearing a pajamas. His pajamas, his pajamas are... Superman pajamas. He was wearing Superman, Superman pajamas. How do you know about Superman? I don't know. He does. But he bring him to the show. He kept the show. They crowd around the show. They look around the show. They call the police. Interesting. They do an inspection of the show. Not a single thing was stolen. Nothing. The pushka was there. Out in the open. I forgot to put away the Gabe admits. Well, everything. The men went back to sleep. They put a patch on the window with a piece of wood. And everything went perfectly smooth for a few months. A few months later, it was Shabbos. It was Shabbos morning. I mean, they had taken out the Torah, and Bakor was reading the Torah, the Parsha of the Week in Sefer Devarim. And he was reading and reading. Bakor reads. And all of a sudden, the Bakor stopped. Everyone picked their heads up. No, oh, Yes, Sammy. Rabbi, is that a half stick? Is that considered talking in the middle of landing if you go e Because like a donkey, donkey talk, E-aw, E-aw is a donkey talk. It's actually the name of a donkey in the story of, um, of um, Winnie the Pooh, E-aw, something like that. It's a half stick in my story, your question. Okay, listen. So, and, and they called the rabbi over. The rabbi came over. The rabbi looked, ooh, oh, ooh, hmm. And they put the Torah, wrapped it up, put it in the Arun Kedish, with the belt on the outside of the cover of the Torah. Oh! When laning was over, not during laning, when laning was over, people started talking to her. What happened? Why is Torah puzzle? Sefer Torah Vez's puzzle? Beryl was standing there. My Torah. Rabbi, why is it puzzle? The rabbi said, shh, Beryl. And Beryl said, what happened to my Torah? The rabbi said, Listen to what happened. I'll tell you what it is. It's very, very strange. We were reading the Torah, and there's a word in the Torah that says, And you shall serve Hashem. It says, Va'avadatem es Hashem. And you shall serve Hashem. You know how Va'avadatem is spelled? Vav, Ayin, Vez, Dalid, Tuf, Mem. That means Eved, serve, right? You should serve Hashem. Well, in the Sefer Torah of Ezra that the Balkori was reading from, it was spelled Vav Aleph Vez Dalit Tafmem. 
which means and you should basically lose Hashem. Instead of serve, it means lose. And that makes the Torah puzzle. And Beryl started crying. He was so sad. He was sad that the Sefer Torah of Ezra was puzzle. But when he came home and he was crying in his house all day, buckets and buckets and buckets of tears, he told his wife, the Sefer Torah of Ezra is puzzle, and I gave up millions of dollars for it. If I had known it was puzzle, would I have given up millions of dollars for a puzzle Torah? No way! I'm so sad. He was so sad that he could barely drag himself out of bed for Shmincha and Marev that night. The rest of the week, the next week, he was dragging around as if his whole world had become dark. As if the greatest tragedy had befallen him. Which maybe it did. He was so sad that everyone he knew him, who knew him was concerned for him. What's going to be with Beryl? He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's not sleeping. Well, one night Beryl went to sleep. He was just too tired. He couldn't stay awake any longer. He had been tossing and turning in bed and not being able to sleep from his sorrow. But one night he just fell asleep and while he was sleeping he had a dream. And in his dream his father came to him and his father told him Beryl, 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 Beryl. Tati? Beryl, 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 Beryl. Yes, Tati. The Sefer Torah wasn't always possible. And his father told him the story of how this fellow, Mati Matthew, came in and changed the letter. Beryl, 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 Beryl. Don't have anyone fix the Torah. Because if you have anybody fix the Torah, it won't anymore be the Sefer Torah of Ezra. Ezra Sefer himself is going to come and fix the Torah. And if you don't believe this dream, look under the bench right nearby the window and you will find Mutti's eyeball. When he was trying to escape and he banged his head, his eyeball got poked out by a piece of wood. Ayin tachas ayin, eye for an eye. He switched the ayin of the Torah and so he lost his eyeball. And that's how you know what I'm saying is true. And Beryl suddenly woke up and Beryl jumped out of bed. He ran to the rabbi's house, knocked on the door, banged on the door. The rabbi said, good morning, good morning. Rabbi, Rabbi, it's an emergency. Oh, Beryl, how are you? Rabbi, I had this crazy dream. Yep, I have a lot of crazy dreams. Listen, I dreamed that one day we'll have our own base of Medrash with an incredible amount of tires inside and we'll have lots of community people and all. No, no, a real dream. All right, I have a real dream too. Tell us, dreams be false, so don't worry about it, go back to bed. No, but Rabbi, I had this incredible dream about the Sefer Torah of Ezra and that, that Ezra Sefer himself is going to fix it. And, oh, yeah, that's a dream. Ezra Sefer wants to do walk into our town. Hi, my name is Ezra Sefer. I've been dead for 10,000 years. But all of a sudden, I'm back, right? Rabbi, I'm telling you, it's true. And, and, and my father came to me and he told me, he told me, all right, I'll come. Um, let, me, let me just put on my clothes. No, no, Rabbi, please come right away, right away. Oh, but we have to get into the shul and the Gabe has a key. 
So come, Rabbi, quickly. All right. Hey, Rabbi, you got new slippers. Elephant-shaped slippers. Oh, yeah, I did, thanks. And they get the Gabi, they think that Gabi, Gabi's wife said, they're knocking for you. And the Gabi came down and says, what's the matter? Is there a fire? Is there a ganav? No, but we have, oh, one second. I have to put on my yarmulke. No, no, come with your pom-poms. Let's go, come on, let's quickly. And they run to the shul, they come to the shul, they unlock the shul. Um, my dream, there was an eyeball under this specific place. Under this place. Let me see if it's there. Um, the Gabi says, oh, 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 I'll help you look, I'll help you look. Mm-hmm. Let's see, mm-hmm. let's see, what's this over here? A cockroach. Nope, that's not it. What's this? Hmm. Oh, somebody forgot their bouncy ball. Little squishy bouncy ball over here. That's it, that's it. Oh, this little bouncy ball? What is it? It's an eyeball. Ew, gross. <laughs> they picked it up. It was an eyeball. Oh, weird. And they looked at, they took out the Sefer a little bit later. They took out the Sefer they looked at it, and the Aleph that had been an eye in, was once again an ayin. Wow, what a nice. Rebbe, <laughs> yes, you can see him. That's a great story. Thank you very much. But Rebbe, what in the world does it have to do with Miguel Sester? Oh, this is why. Good point. I forgot about that part. You know, when Esther came to Achashverosh and told Achashverosh that the Jewish people were going to be killed, Achashverosh basically acted like he never heard of the whole thing at all. He acted like he never even heard that Haman was planning to kill the Jews. How could that be that Achashverosh never heard that Haman was planning to kill It doesn't make sense. Haman came to Achashverosh with a letter, with a, letter, with a document, and said to Achashverosh, this is my plan. Achashverosh said, okay. And Achashverosh gave him his signet ring to make the decree. How could Achashverosh say he didn't know about the decree? You know what the answer is? Say the Mepharshim, says the Oyev Yisrael, Haman came with a decree that said, I want to make, be ma'abed the Jewish people with an ayin. I want to make the Jewish people avadim with an ayin. That's what he said when he showed the decree to Paro. That's what the decree said. But after Paro agreed and put his signet ring on it, Haman erased the ayin and he put it in an olive and it said, now I want to destroy the Jews. And so Esther Hamalka says to Achashverosh, If the decree was the original decree of Eved, of being a slave, then I wouldn't have said anything. But now that it is La'abed to kill out and destroy all the Jews, now I have to say something. Now I have to protest. Because now that's too much. I can't stand by and watch my whole nation be erased. And that's a beautiful Devartera. Yes, Avramo. Rabbi, I'm just uh, curious a little bit. How are we going to learn any Chumash today? Um, it's the middle of Tavis, and we're talking about Megillus Esther. Um, it's a little like weird. <laughs> Avramo, I'm so glad you're interested in learning Chumash. As a matter of fact, we mentioned we'll learn Chumash, and we'll have plenty of homework, if that's what you're concerned about. Oh, I wasn't worried about homework. Avramo, I know you like homework really so much. And I'll make sure, don't worry, I'll make sure to give you homework. Don't get concerned. I'll give you how much you want, an hour or two hours, how much homework you want. Um, Rabbi, uh, I, think, I think we can learn Megillah more. Mr. Shem will learn Megillah too, but we'll have Megillah homework too. All right, so everyone take out your binders and write down, I want you to do the following four hours worth of homework. No, Rabbi, please don't.